1: throw. What?
0: Welcome to the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a RotoViz podcast. This is the December 11th episode, and as always, we remain dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter, at RandallRant. Today, we welcome in the great Pat Corain, fantastic high-stakes best ball dynasty writer and ranker at Establish the Run, co-host of the great YouTube channel, so many great things on there, Ship Chasing and Establish the Edge podcast as well. Whatever type of fantasy football structure you're into, Pat has great insight hard work and fantasy mind, finds a way to weave humor in that we all love, which is such a skill. I can vouch for his charter membership on the Ronald Jones Fan Club. So of course we have to have him on here. One of my best follows on Twitter, at Pat Corrine. Pat, great to get you on the road of his mailbag, man. Thanks so much for coming aboard.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me on.
0: I want to talk about how you got started in fantasy football. I mean, things are going so well there established the run, the YouTube channels taken off. You have so many guys you do that with just tell us how you got started and, and what you're up to now. Cause it seems like there's, you're on every medium possible man to get stuff out there for fantasy <laughs> football.
1: Yeah. So I got started at Rotoviz. I started doing some kind of like deeper dynasty type of, uh, articles for Rotoviz. Um, just emailed fantasy douche who was, uh, running the site yeah. at the time. And, uh, he brought me in doing some of that stuff. And then I was doing, um, one of the first things I did was some articles with my brother, Mike, who, uh, we would debate, uh, like a redraft guy. Like, should you take Kendall Wright or DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, these types of guys. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, you know, so that, so we would, we would do those types of articles and then, um, kind of got more and more into doing the podcast stuff. So, um, kind of got my feet wet here at rotoviz with that, um, And yeah, just kind of been really getting more into Dynasty, especially as the years have gone on. But, you know, the high stakes stuff that really came out of doing the Fantasyland podcast um, with, you know, hosted by Pete Overzet. I was a producer on that podcast. He and I went out to Vegas for one of the episodes there and we drafted a high stakes team and kind of chronicled the whole thing. And then out of that, we started a podcast where we just were drafting, um high stakes teams every year and, and talking about the process of managing them, drafting them, the whole thing. And that's really where ship chasing has come out of, which is what I do with Pete, where we talk about uh, all the teams we are drafting. And we have like a show every Wednesday where we have been going through the waivers. Now we're talking about the teams that made the playoffs and stuff. And Ben Gretch has been joining us on there pretty regularly. We, we drafted teams with Sean Siegel, with Blair Andrews, Hassan Rahim. So a lot of wrote of his names there. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, do, doing Dynasty stuff with Establish the Edge or uh, Establish a Run and do a, a podcast with Mike Leone called Establish the Edge. So <laughs> it's been a busy season, but a lot of fun.
0: It's awesome, man. And the high stakes stuff is great. I mean, you're an OG here at Rotoviz, but uh, the way you chronicle the wins, uh, you guys have been doing a great job on that YouTube channel. I always check it out. You talk about the wins, the hits, the misses every week, and it, it really gives you a lot of insight into what, what we should think about and learn from each week into preparing our DFS lineups the next week.
1: Yeah. I I think it's kind of, um, I, I, you know, people seem to to dig it. It's like one of these things where we're literally just talking about like what we're doing. We're like super in the weeds and we, we try to bring some humor to it and we try to just like, let you know, like exactly what we're took, we're doing. Like, um, you know, sometimes in years past, it's just been like me and Pete, like arguing about like how much money we should blow on Ty Johnson on the waiver wire. And this is like when he was in the lions and it was ended up being total disaster. And so there's like some kind of some humor in it, but it's not, it's not really always advice. Like sometimes it's just, and I was talking to, you know, I, I I was making this point where it's like, not necessarily, um, you know, with the, the Ronald Jones stuff, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big Ronald Jones guy. Um, I was, This hasn't aired yet, I guess, because the the Solis report takes a lot of time to edit, but there is a Solis report in the works. And I I was mentioning to John, like, I don't think people necessarily got, like, too worked up about how much I was, like, a Ronald Jones truther, because I'm not even necessarily, like, touting Ronald Jones on ship chasing. I'm trying to convince Pete to draft him, and that's funny. (laughs) So it's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my crazy Ronald Jones stuff is actually like providing entertainment. I'm not just like talking at the listener, trying to get them to draft them.
0: Uh, you know, it's great stuff. Ty Johnson job at best, Michael Ashore. I mean, it's like a vortex of Detroit running backs. We, we could talk about forever here, but that's great, man. It's, it's, it's awesome stuff. And I'm not going to bury the lead. I want to get your thoughts here on Jalen hurts. All right. And you can analyze him dynasty perspective as well. So Carson Wentz, I always feel, Pat, like Carson Wentz has been overvalued because of the one 13-game season that he had where he's pretty much the front runner for MVP. But outside of that, he's been very ordinary, fumble is the whole thing. Jalen Hurts now going to be starting this week in Philadelphia. Talk to us about what you think about him and his dynasty value moving forward.
1: Yeah, Wentz is looking broken. And I agree with you about the the run he had inflating his value on the first high stakes team that we drafted. We went with Wentz as our quarterback. We went with Rager. We went with Boston Scott. We were like this Eagles team, you know, they're going to bounce back. It's going to be awesome. So that didn't really work. I said work the out. same
0: thing. I was waiting. I feel like I'm. it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Now I'm giving up.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm giving up too. I mean, we bailed out pretty quickly on that and got Herbert on that team. That, that team ended up doing really well, but, um, but yeah, we, we kind of thought there was something here at this point. I think Hertz is definitely going to add value to the offense. There is a question, I think, about how much value can be added, though, because, well, first of all, I don't think he's necessarily going to add to the to the backfield. Like we see, you know, with Taysom Hill, this type of quarterback can hurt guys like Alvin Kamara. I think Boston Scott in particular, you know, his his value, not that it was all that much, is probably really hurt by this. I think Miles Sanders' value overall will probably be hurt by this. We could you know, we've seen Jordan Howard all of a sudden here, which is bizarre, but um the rotation at the at the running backs is already a problem. And now if there's less receiving value there, that could be a problem. At wide receiver, I think it should help things, but we're seeing this bizarre rotation where they're really rotating out guys and doing almost an even split among four wide receivers on the outside. So you're seeing yeah. Greg Ward all the time in the slot, but then you got Rager, Hightower, Alshon Jeffrey. And Fulgham all mixing in, in a in a way where no NFL teams do this. It's not like you'll see sometimes with like Dallas, you know, they have uh Cedric Wilson and Brown who they kind of mix in to keep the other guys fresh, keeps everyone's routes down around like 75 to you know eighty-five percent or whatever. But it's not like no one's even above sixty percent, which is what you're seeing with the Eagles, where there's really no full-time outside wide receivers on that team. Which is dumb. So you know, yeah. I, I think it, it's bad coaching, and it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt hurts because he's not gonna be able to get chemistry. I think it's one of the things that's hurt Wentz that he hasn't been able to develop chemistry with any of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's probably gonna you know if if they can just let one guy be out there on the field long enough, uh, it would theoretically create additional value at the wide receiver position and. You know, dynasty wise, I, it's really hard to say because Wentz's contract makes him uncuttable, I don't think anyone's going to trade for him. So he's going to be lurking. It's it certainly would not be something where I'd be like all that psyched about hurts long term, just because it's going to be a messy situation. And quarterback is a situation. You know, some of the leagues I play in, I'm only carrying one quarterback because they're like pretty shallow dynasty leagues. So he's he's someone if I could sell right now, I, I probably would. Although you know, most trade deadlines have passed.
0: And listen, the quarterback obviously affects the receivers. It also affects the running back. I understand that Taysom Hill's a runner. I, I get it. But I have been shocked at the the lack of usage of Alvin Kamara, particularly in the passing game. I get the whole thing. But Michael Thomas has been able to have two games of 100 yards or more receiving with Taysom Hill. If he can du- duplicate that with Thomas, why is Kamara just such a non-factor here with those dump-offs?
1: I, I think it comes down to like – the first read, and, and you know, you see. I think the Thomas thing really reveals how big a part of the offense Thomas is designed to be. You know, where he's he's the first read clearly on a lot of these plays because Taysom's not like working through his progressions, and then you know he, he's pretty much doing one, two reads, and then taking off. I think that's why you're seeing Kamara's value hurt so much. Where uh, Breeze's Not that type of quarterback. Breeze is a traditional quarterback where he's working through his progressions and then he'll dump off to Kamara. He offers nothing with his legs. So if you're you know, scheming up a game plan, you're going to have a lot more screens in there as opposed to design runs and options and that type of stuff. So what Kamara offers is just better suited for a non-mobile quarterback than one who's like highly mobile, um, almost relying on the ability to be mobile like Taysom Hill.
0: One of the quarterbacks I found myself having a ton of exposure to in best ball was Matt Stafford. And I feel like we're kind of getting rewarded here for waiting until the end of the year. He was the overall QB6 in week 10 against Washington. Last week against the Bears in a tough matchup. Overall QB5. No Galladay yet, but he is passing more. Bevel's a head coach. Patricia is gone. I think Matt Stafford here, Pat, could have a pretty strong ending for those fantasy owners that held on to him.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm that optimistic. Okay. like Because you're seeing it like, so obviously this past week was, was nice, but what happened was that Marvin Jones successfully imitated Kenny Galladay. And mm-hmm. I just don't feel like we can count on that. I mean, this offense very clearly needs that Kenny Galladay guy. And by that, I mean someone who operates deep downfield, but also earns targets at a high rate. And Marvin Jones did that this past week. You got a ceiling week out of the offense. And and with someone operating in that role, it opens up things for guys like Hawkinson underneath. Uh, but I think Marvin Jones is pretty close to done, and I'm not sure we're going to be able to get that type of performance on a consistent basis. If we got Kenny Galladay back, um, then I would feel much better about being able to rely
0: on the offense. At a very small amount here, at least at a minimum – we're going to get a better look at Quintus Cephas because they cut Marvin Hall. And Cephas is a big roto guy here. I, I don't know if Galladay is going to come back. I, I saw what Adam Levitan put out today. Ever since he had the picture in a provocative pose with a girl, he's been on the sidelines. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think Cephas can take a bigger role, but you're right. If if Galladay doesn't come back, that's an awful lot of pressure on Marvin Jones. It's true.
1: Yeah, we, we're unclear, unclear if Galladay's been taking it easy on his hips like, like he should have been.
0: <laughs> right, here. yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. Uh, breakfast, for some reason, Pat, has become a major question every week here. Blame it on Jake Seeley. What's the breakfast of choice in the Korean household? And do you have a favorite cereal? Is that a part of it?
1: I'm not that big on cereal. I do like there's these uh, uh, at the bodegas around here, you can find like the cinnamon toast crunch, but churros. Oh, They're like oh. churro shaped. And they just they like they don't because the thing I don't like about cinnamon toast crunch is that it absorbs all the milk very quickly. It gets really yeah. soggy, but the churro shape kind of keeps it floating a little bit better. So sure. I, I'm a big fan of that. But that's basically a dessert. So I don't usually I'm not eating that in the morning. It's more of like a late night type of deal. Um, but my breakfast of choices is, is basically eggs, although I'm not a, a big breakfast person. like I don't tend to eat breakfast. In the morning if that makes sense but i love mm-hmm. eggs i love eggs i like eggs over rice which is something my girlfriend got me into ah um little hot sauce in there that's yeah. uh little uh sun like basically sunny side up eggs i, I like a uh, runny yolk that's that's the best
0: anything pat is better with hot sauce i agree on that The wait is finally over, folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From the game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Go and head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Patriots defense. You're going to be a soothsayer here because this pod is dropping on Friday. We're recording on Wednesday. Has Belichick righted the ship? Because remember last year, the Patriots defense was pretty much a fantasy winner. They went out and just totally took Justin Herbert to the woodshed. Huge performance there with special teams. They have some tough matchups coming up, but what do you expect from the Patriots defense Thursday night against the Rams in the McVeigh belichick rematch?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. And there's, you know, some of the narratives with Belichick, I feel like they get out of hand, but then he like continuously just, uh, you know, makes them look, like they were good calls. One of those narratives being that he's really tough for rookie quarterbacks to play. And then, you know, just absolutely stomps over Justin Herbert seven of this great season. So yeah, I would, I would expect that um, it'll be a close game. The line was down. Uh, I was, it opened like six and a half down to five, but um I think the story as far as defense is probably on the Rams side. Um, I think the, We might see Cam Newton struggling against the Rams D. Uh, So I would would still lean Rams here. I'll say the Rams, as you're listening to this, will have won the game.
0: Yeah, and I'm going with the under there too. I think both defenses show up. Rams have been absolutely tremendous. They're a nice fantasy defense. Speaking of that, we've talked about this. When you do your projections, you do DFS, you do your rankings, where do the defensive matchups come into play? Josh Hermsmeyer started this a while ago, said defenses don't matter. You know, you're going to play your guys, don't overrate the defense. And of course, there's millions of examples for both. So how does that factor into your rankings, which are one of the best around?
1: Yeah, so I don't do weekly rankings or projections, but I do do dynasty rankings, which obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to get into, I don't have to get into the defensive matchups for that since it's like kind of the wider window but i will say that like everyone who's doing you know the weekly rankings and stuff they are definitely incorporating defense into those and all the projections and stuff as well i would be careful like as you're setting your lineups not to double count that um that component because you know if you're looking at like anything it will incorporate defense so then if you then say well this is a tough matchup so i'm gonna kind of dock this guy even further like you've you've double counted the defensive component. I think if you're going to kind of go against the projections or the rankings that you like, uh, I would use something that you feel like maybe the projections aren't taking into account. So, you know, if there's some kind of ambiguity about how playing time is going to get split up and you know that like most projectors are going to basically have to hedge, an example would be like the Rams running back situation. Like if you, felt strongly that Cam Akers was going to build on that. Um, you know, he he just is coming off 63% of the snaps, a really strong workload, seven carries inside of the 10. Like, he's not going to get projected for that role um, in this game that will have just happened. But if you feel that that was legit, then I think that's a spot to maybe go against rankings and projections more so than uh, reincorporating the matchup personally.
0: What's your favorite music, rock band genre to listen to when you're working out, jogging, or maybe getting fired up to set your DFS lineups on Sunday? Yeah,
1: the the stuff, especially for like the DFS and and writing, researching, all that. I there's like this very specific type of um like k- kind of down. Um, it, it's like heavy drumming plus like slightly melancholy that I really, and I also think this is nice for like running and stuff, but um, like the national has this like a very, like a very kind of active drummer. Yep. Uh, Michigander is another thing uh, oh, yeah, I really sure. like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That kind of thing where you get it like really kind of like, there's a lot going on rhythmically, but at the same time, that's like a little bit on the melancholy side that, that really does it for me.
0: I'd like you to, Give the first word that comes to mind with the following five players. These are sort of key players that I've identified down the fantasy playoffs here that can make a difference one way or another. So I'm going to name a guy. Give me the first word that comes to your mind and maybe explain a little bit. We're going to start, Mr. Polarizing, the Bears, David Montgomery. Inflated. <laughs> so at the schedule, though, very good, Pat. What does that do for you? Anything?
1: No, it, it does. It It's not... You know, you got to factor that in some, but I think that what we've been seeing the last couple weeks is that Dave Montgomery surprisingly has been getting there on efficiency. And that's good. Like we like players who are efficient and are, you know, are good. He has looked good, but he is still on the Bears. Um, and the thing that we're kind of supposed to be able to count on with Dave Montgomery is this big workload, him getting all the touches. But he lost a touchdown last week to Cordell Patterson. He didn't actually have, if you look at RotoViz's ex- expected points uh, stat, which I really like, uh, he didn't really have that strong of an expected points workload this past week. Um, and Patterson was actually just behind him in that. So I think he is a little bit like the recent performances, probably inflating people's opinion of him just uh, just slightly. I don't think he's like a disastrous type of play, but uh, I- I'm not really buying the last couple weeks what we've seen out of him as a player.
0: Here at Rotovez, we are zero RB for life, and this has been one of the key guys here, Miles Gaskin. Give me a word,
1: unrealized, mm-hmm. because we're seeing all of this. All of this, uh, we're not seeing a ton of work with inside inside the five. We're seeing a lot of work inside the ten that he's not scoring on, and uh, that's the that's the key question with Gaskin. Are we going to get the touchdowns? Uh, which would be amazing if they if he was finally getting the touchdowns that really could be a part of this workhorse role. There is some downside if uh, if Ahmed comes back and, you know, they end up moving away from Gaskin at the goal line. But he's shown the ability to get those those touches inside the 10. um, But we just need the touchdowns on him.
0: a guy that we had no exposure to here. Late round running back. Give me something on Kenyon Drake.
1: Yeah, fragile. Yeah. Uh, I think the recent success has been somewhat related to Kyler Murray not being right. And uh, I think once Kyler Murray starts running a bit more, it's going to hurt Drake. And also, anytime they're in a negative script, they move to Edmonds. Uh, It's not like they just drastically move to Edmonds, but you'll see, you know, Edmonds getting maybe 55, 60 percent of the snaps in that game. They're in a lot of negative game script. So there's just a couple ways he can fail. Uh, Not really into it.
0: Another one who was great here. If you pay attention, you have to, folks, do your research in the preseason, sort of read the tea leaves, what's going on. James Robinson of the Jaguars.
1: Robust. There's no one else who gets touches. Uh, even, I mean, I guess the thing is, if Chris Thompson comes back, it would hurt. But you just see Daria Gumbawale, who missed last week's game, um, missed week 12's game. That really helped him. He got 97% of the snaps. But then a Gumbawale comes back. Agumbo Allen only played 14% of the snaps. So there's just huge snap counts available to James Robinson. That is not going to go away. He is locked into a major, major role as long as he's healthy.
0: And the last one here, I've gotten a lot of questions on social media. This is why I put this in there. After the explosion in week seven for Tyler Lockett against Arizona, 53 fantasy points, of course. 7.3 8.0 11.6 had a decent game against Arizona again 21.7 but then 5.3 and 12.3 so Tyler Lockett what do you what do you think here give me something that describes him and and where are you on his projection and during the fantasy playoffs
1: yeah um I, I would say up in the air like they need to get him the ball deep again I think that's been kind of part of it um there was some kind of scuttlebutt that he was dealing with like an injury of some sort um but I think, you know, he's obviously in a get-right spot this week uh, going against the Jets. So we could see a, another blow-up game from Lockett here. I'm a little disappointed that they fired Greg Williams because he's just, you know, he's so awful that we, yeah. we wanted we wanted to get uh, Russ against him and, and cooking. But, um, yeah, I think Lockett's in position to where, like, we know when he hits, he can hit massively. And so it's sort of like fade him at your own risk. Um, if they start going deep again... Uh, he 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 could smash his his a dot was down to six point seven last week. That's kind of like what I'm talking about, where he's seeing that uh, the reduction in his deep targets, five point eight in week twelve, but um, he had been targeted much deeper to begin the season.
0: One of the guys who's come up a lot on the pod this year has been DJ Moore. DJ Moore early in the season, Robbie Anderson seemed like the alpha. People were saying D.J. Moore you know, doesn't have it. He's not going to get as much. Then he got a ton of receiving yards. Of course, the yards have to catch it, and, and he's really one of the most dynamic receivers. Now he's got the injury issue. He's on the COVID list as well. D.J. Moore and the Carolina receivers here, where are you on this team? Because, of course, Christian McCaffrey came up with an injury again today, a quad injury. So the receivers really could have a good role here down the stretch. Where are you on D.J. Moore in this group?
1: Well, I'm bummed out because, it, it, you know, he's going to miss week 14 with COVID, it looks like. And they, he almost broke his ankle because Teddy Bridgewater missed him so bad on an easy touchdown pass. Um, so I was hoping that we would get more P.J. Walker, to be honest, um, when you know he got that audition where he kept throwing touchdowns in the end zone uh, when Teddy was out. You know, it, seeing the, the connection with Teddy is just – it's not there, uh, I, I think – I blame that on Teddy a lot more than than DJ Moore. But the other thing we were seeing is that it was starting to get a little bit better recently. And some of it with DJ Moore this season, It's it's been a bit of a frustrating season, but some of it just comes down to the role where he had very similar underlying volume to Robbie Anderson, slightly worse than Robbie Anderson all year. But used a bit deeper downfield typically, which is going to lead to some higher variance type of outputs. And that's what we were seeing. So, you know, you'd you'd start to feel like, man, it's just never going to happen. And then he would pop, you know, so I would be excited about him, assuming the ankle's right and he gets healthy from COVID um, and we get him for week 15 and 16. But it's now kind of up in there on him, uh, which is, you know, a bummer because He's an awesome player. I think if he was used a little bit more intelligently, like I'm confused why they're not using him on some shallow stuff. He's so good after the catch. Um, And if he had a quarterback who better meshed with his, with the role that they're putting him in, he could have had a monster season.
0: Give me your most embarrassing moment in college. Mine would be, it was at Boston college. Of course, we got a lot of Hills there. Totally sober here, Pat, walking to the bus at the top of the hill iced over shackled rolled all the way down the hill the entire bus gives me a standing ovation when i roll up to the bottom of the hill so give me your give me your embarrassing moment here well
1: i was on the mailbag like years you know several years ago when jeremy was hosting it and uh so i told this story but i was uh i was at a party and i was on i was out on the roof and i tried to climb down from the roof Uh, And I misjudged the distance between the roof and the fence that I thought I could basically, you know, step, step my way down to the ground. So I was about like a foot and a half uh, from, you know, I'm hanging from the roof now, a foot and a half uh, (laughs) between my feet and the fence. And I'm like, I don't, what do I do now? So I just let go and I landed on the fence in between my legs. Luckily, nothing got (laughs) clipped. and uh then i proceeded to roll off the fence which ripped the chain link of it ripped my pants the back of my pants so now oh. it's like you know one of those old timey like button where you you button off the the back so you can go that, is, yeah. that it, my pants are now those pants and uh they oh. just i, I called the cap <laughs> uh, yeah. part of the party was over
0: yeah that's the best move absolutely very good we have a huge battle coming up here, Pat, in week 14, Steelers-Bills. So Steelers was sort of the surprising loss of Washington because they got up early. They were driving the ball. I feel after that gold line stance there early on, that could have put them up 14 nothing. Things changed around. They do have a good run defense. They don't have a good pass defense. Why so people say Steelers have a good defense, I don't buy it. The pass defense is not good. They're going to play a Bills team here on the road, short week now. How do you handicap this game, particularly for fantasy value? Because – you know, there's a ton of passing volume in, in Pittsburgh. Rothersburg is not taking as many deep shots, and they have not been able to run the ball. So could be like a little bit of a scoring bonanza here potentially.
1: Yeah, it's interesting sometimes when you get these defenses that are really good against the run because then it's like, well, how do we beat them? We're going to have to pass a lot. And then you see teams passing all over them. And since passing's the the smarter way to go, and the, you know, more uh, effective way of scoring points, then you start to see the defense not quite look as good. And I think that's kind of what happened to, to Tampa Bay right before the bye. You know, you, you had the Rams coming out and just throwing all over them. And you start, you know, I think you could see that with the Bills, where the Bills, Mike Leone's been tweeting out these uh, these charts showing passing over expected. Mm-hmm. And the Bills are a big team on that. They they pass a lot more um, based on the situation situation. Than you would typically expect. So the Steelers are as well. They also like to pass a lot, and I agree with you. I think this could be kind of an unexpected shootout. Um, I guess the weather cooperates and everything, right? Um, but uh, I don't have any. I don't have any notes on that. But I just it's in it's in Buffalo, right? So
0: yeah, it's in Buffalo. We might,
1: yep. we might have to deal with that. But assuming with the weather cooperates, then we uh, we could kind of have an unexpected shootout. Um, And then, you know, some really awesome fantasy pieces here. Diggs has just been getting a ton of volume, didn't get a touchdown last week, even though like everyone else on the team did. But he still, his underlying volume is still awesome. Gabe Davis filling in pretty well for the John Brown role. I think it, though, has helped Cole Beasley because Cole Beasley tends to see a bit more uh, of the target volume when John Brown is out. And then the one thing that's a little bit disappointing to me is that Chase Claypool saw his routes really declined this past week and what we saw a lot more James Washington. That is something that worries me, uh, you know, in, in season long playoffs and stuff. I'm a little bit hesitant on chase Claypool just because if he's only out there for like 45% of the, the dropbacks, that's really going to hurt. He's an awesome player. I think he can hit some big plays, but we should be seeing nearly a full-time role out of him. I think we should be seeing a full-time roll out of him, but that's maybe too much to hope for. But, Anyway, that would be like the one part of this shootout that I'm uh, most, uh, you know, even if it is a shootout, I think Claypool could fail.
0: Thank you, teacher time. Give a shout out here, Pat, to a teacher in the K-12 years. We're trying to do this with COVID. A lot of negative mojo going around. The challenges of being an educator now, of course, just a wonderful, wonderful profession. Who's somebody in your K-12 years had a positive influence on you want to mention?
1: Yeah, my second grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Saunders, let me go to... Uh, London with my, with my parents, you know, with, for like, I was there for like three weeks because my dad was a English professor. So um, I I had to like write about it and stuff or some, you know, project to, to make it uh, acceptable or whatever. But I, you know, that was really cool. And I feel like another more hard nosed teacher would have been like, no, you got to stay here and do your math homework or whatever. So that that was pretty, that was pretty nice of her. And, uh, you know, nice little thing to have a uh, nice little travel, you know, especially in COVID it makes you re- appreciate the ability to travel and, and see other parts of the world.
0: Time for redraft lightning round here. Give me the better play in seasonal leagues for week 14. Can't believe I'm asking this, but I got off the bus last week with Miles Sanders, JD McKissick at the 49ers or Miles Sanders at home against the saints.
1: Yeah. What do you need? You know, because it, it if you don't need like 20 points, um, which you're probably not getting from either. I think it's McKissick. <laughs> you know, it's like McKissick's going to offer you a little bit of floor here. And I just went down earlier, like I talked about everything that's gross about the Eagles' backfield right now. With with Gibson likely out, McKissick, um, you know, should see some some passing game work. And, uh, God, it feels disgusting to, to tell J.D. McKissick, but I, I honestly think it's J.D. McKissick.
0: Yeah, very, very true. Curious on these here. You have Chris Carson, who's still not getting the majority of touches, although Pete Carroll came out today and said he's going to get the lion's share. But when Pete Carroll says that, I just roll my eyes. But they play at the Jets, so should be a lot of positive game script in theory. Or Josh Jacobs here, who's a little banged up at home, but he is home, but he's against a good Colts defense. Who do you like better? I don't
1: think we're going to get Josh Jacobs. Uh, Yeah, no practice today on Wednesday. So – I I would, at this point, lean Carson. And if Jacobs doesn't go, I'd definitely take Carson over any of the other guys, uh, you know, the Booker types or whatever.
0: This one may have been affected by the Chris Godwin not practicing today, but better tight end play Gronkowski against the Vikings or Evan Ingram at home against the Cards?
1: I would take Evan Ingram at home against the Cards. They both get targeted at a very similar rate when on the field, Gronkowski's been used deeper downfield throughout the season, but we've started to see Evan Ingram get used deep downfield. Finally, you know, early in the season, it's getting used like three, four yards downfield. It was weird, but the last couple of weeks, he's been used like you would expect Evan Ingram to be used, and it put him in a position where he can actually make some plays. And his A over the last two weeks is up to eleven point three, which is very in line with what we're seeing from Gronk. So they're pretty similar overall. But Engram's just out there on the field way more. He's running around on 86% of dropbacks this season. Gronk at just 63%. So I think uh, with tight ends, it's often just a matter of, of who's getting playing time. Uh, given that both these guys can earn targets and are part of the passing game, I think you got to go Engram.
0: And last one here, pick a wide receiver. I know Debo's banged up. He did not practice. But assuming that he goes – would you take him against Washington or Terry McLaurin in the same game against the San Francisco team that's going to need this win badly?
1: Yeah, I would take Terry McLaurin. Um, obviously, we got the dud this past week, but he's fourth in the NFL in Whopper this season. I, I do think he's going to have a big week before the season ends. It's probably going to be against the Seahawks. Um, uh, I believe that's week 15. But, uh, you know, maybe not this week, but. I'm just gonna kind of keep having exposure to Terry McLaren um, before, you know, the season ends. I think he's gonna have a big game. The volume has been has been really nice. And this isn't a case where there's just no volume overall to this offense. The offense isn't great, but it's not terrible, and he just has a huge slice
0: of it. I love Memento seven. John Daigle came on, talked to me about knives out, which I watched last night it was really good as well. You have a favorite moving with sort of a suspenseful or tricky ending?
1: I love knives out. That that's a good one. Um yeah, I mean the one of the old school ones I, I still like the usual suspects. I feel like that holds up pretty yeah. well. Um yeah. I liked Parasite a lot. Thought that was that was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm partial to like zombie movies. I I like Train to Busan, which is on Netflix. I thought that was oh, a
0: good.
1: that's a a nice Korean zombie movie.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have Netflix. I know like that a lot. New question I started recently you have a pick, pad against the spread that you like this week. You know, lines get sharper, of course. The, the Vegas seems to get really, really accurate right now. So there's not a lot of value in, in places. But is there a team or a lean that you feel strongly about here in Week 14?
1: Yeah, so on Ship Tasting a, a few weeks ago, we we had uh, Ben Gretsch and Mike Leone on the show. And we were talking about this idea of, do you carry a backup kicker into your high-stakes playoffs um, because the waivers are not available during this three-week championship window where you're competing against all the other league winners And, you know, very heated debate about whether or not you take a backup kicker. And Ben's point was that he had Zane Gonzalez and that he he therefore did not need a backup kicker because of how much uh, Cliff Kingsbury loves field goals. So when I see the Cardinals here minus two and I can picture Cliff winning the game at the very end with a Zane Gonzalez field goal, uh, I got to go with that.
0: Excellent call. You're the DFS man here, sir. Let's win a million dollars together. I'm looking for a cheap week 14 DFS play at each position. So I was doing my lineups today, doing some planning. I'm curious with quarterback. I think there's some decent plays here because some of the big names have tough matchups. Is there a lower priced quarterback that you like here in week 14?
1: Yeah, I I don't tend to go with like a lot of the lower priced quarterbacks in GPPs. I was going to ask you if Justin Herbert counts his, his value his price has fallen a bit. bit. Um, yep. So that would be my my uh, choice if you'll give it to me. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, uh, I think, has decent upside. I mean, he's going to rush a fair amount. He's only 5,100 on DraftKings. And uh, that would be, if you want to go cheap, I think, kind of the obvious guy. Um
0: Dare I uh, mention Pat the red rifle in a revenge game? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that's see, that's what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Don't want the low floor. Yeah, you, know, you, want, you want a quarterback to... Move well, I, I also
1: worry about the ceiling in that type of situation because yeah. um, Pat Thorman does the snaps and pace article at Establish Run, which I think is like... You want to talk about like mixing in humor? Thorman is the funniest writer, I think, yes, in the industry. Yeah. And uh, he... He identified that as just like one of the sloggiest slogs of the season. Um, just a really slow-paced game that both teams are basically going to want to go home as soon as possible. So I, I don't think you really have a ceiling in that game necessarily um, in addition to to having a low floor. So I, I the Chargers have been pretty fast-paced this year. That's why I, I kind of keep gravitating towards Herbert. I think I'm not scared off by the beatdown that Belichick put on them. Um, they'll probably blow that game at the end, but I, there should be plenty of fantasy value before that happens.
0: Running back has been interesting here, Pat, in GPPs. Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, even Derrick Henry last week, some of the big high priced running backs have not performed. So is there a lower price guy you like?
1: Yeah, again, like at running back, I don't want to get too off the board, but Jonathan Taylor's only 5800 And, you know, you, that's like, you know, mid range, but. You know he's facing a team here that the Jets just ran on uh, in the Raiders and uh, Atlanta just smashed. So you got, um, you know, Colts have a pretty solid defense and the Jets have, or the uh, the Raiders have really struggled. Like they really should have lost to the Jets. So no. I think he could be in positive game script, which is what we want. I'm a little concerned with Taylor. Like he definitely does have a low floor. We saw two weeks ago, Jacoby Brissett was sniping touchdowns. He was used on a third and one. This past week. So, you know, another short yardage brasset sighting. Don't love that. And then we also had Naheem Hines being used uh, near the goal line and on a fourth and one rush. So there's lots of ways that Taylor can just have his day be ruined. But uh, he's shown a lot more as a rusher recently, shown some of that speed. And I think, you know, he could potentially rack up, uh, you know, easily get over 100 yards, get in the end zone once or twice and and pay off that salary pretty nicely.
0: You know, I remember beginning of the year, I was touting how Jonathan Taylor's over-under rushing yard prop was something like 720, and I was laughing. I mean, I think he's going to get it. He's got 609, but that was frisky for a while. I mean, I just yeah. don't get it. I feel like, Pat, he comes out, he starts the game, and then he's gone for the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I honestly don't get it. They're, like, a fourth-and-one Naheem Hines rush, like, what you're yep. just – Like talk about galaxy brain, you know what I mean? Like, you're what do you what? How do you get there? Do you think like, well, the defense will think we'll never run it in this situation? But you've lined up like you're running it. Just give it to the big guy who is your better runner. He wasn't used at all in short yardage last week. Like in any situation, it's like I think second and he was he wasn't used on any third downs. He wasn't used on the fourth down. He wasn't used near the goal line. It's all like first and 10, second and 10 type of runs, maybe, you know, second and six mixed in there. It's just it's strange that you've got this big back and you're not using him like that. But anyway, I'll stop ranting. I, I, I don't. I, I was plenty uh, excited about Jonathan Taylor to start the season, too, but it hasn't quite panned out. It hasn't been a total disaster, but but not the uh, not the what we were imagining when the season started.
0: Do you have a lean here, Pat, dynasty wise with him or, or Clyde Edwards Hilaire?
1: Yeah, I mean, I. So if you're if you're in a situation where you're trying to um, rebuild, then I think Clyde Edwards-Helaire is going to get you. He's like an asset that while while both providing some um, some production is just very insulated because he's tied to Patrick Mahomes. There's really very little downside. I think what will probably happen is they'll let go of Le'Veon Bell, but they're going to bring back Damian Williams and he's going to end up in kind of a committee situation yet again. But then you enter 2022 or you, you know, late like this time next year, you're probably looking ahead to 2022 going, well, this could all be Edward Zelaire's backfield finally and his price should be roughly where it is now. So I think you kind of are probably going to get another full year's look at Edward Zelaire without him like losing any value and that's pretty nice to have in a rebuilding situation. I think if you're in a position where you're like I want a guy who can maybe carry me to a title I think that Taylor has more of that upside um where we're seeing John, uh, Jordan Wilkins role had been like way too big it's starting to be smaller um, hopefully Heinz st- you know is not used in these situations that are not well suited to Heinz. And Taylor could uh, deliver maybe not like truly elite, like over 20 points a game type of uh, production next year, but certainly could be in that like 18 points per game type of mix.
0: Back to DFS, wide receiver. It's Nothing is more frustrating to me in DFS than paying up for the wide receiver because, of course, it's something you probably shouldn't do given the range of outcomes and then having them bonk here. So give us sort of a low-end play, a guy you like, either a high-volume guy or maybe like a home-run guy. Call this the Marquez Valdez-Scantling portion of the show. What do you got here, Pat, for wide receiver?
1: Yeah, again, I'm not sure if I'm following the rules exactly, but Brandon I's 5,400, which yeah, yeah. he's sure. not like min or anything like that. But, um, man. I, and also I'm worried that he might be popular <laughs> yeah. because uh, you know if we don't have d this week, then – People are going to be uh, very much on him. But, man, like, he comes back from injury and is the number one wide receiver. We're seeing Debo in this role that is, like, very limited and just no air yards. I was commenting on on uh, stat chasing this week that, like, Debo's ADOT was up to, like, 4.1, and that was exciting because it's normally, you know, he's seen negative air yards on the week. So, Brandon iuke is getting used... Um, in the intermediate area of the field, much more than he was in the beginning of the season. At times at the beginning of the season, he was really just doing these like clear out deep threat type of, of routes where, you know, he's got an ADOT that's like 17, 18, and it's just going to be too volatile to count on. But now he's getting used kind of as the primary option and getting used more in the intermediate area of the field. He is still the, basically the deep threat, but he's not exclusively the deep threat. And he kind of has, I think, a, a pretty high floor, high ceiling combo this week. I'm pretty excited about him.
0: And tight end, the wasteland. If it's not Travis Kelsey and it's not Darren Waller, who is it?
1: Okay, so this is – I'm going to give you some really cheap gross names here. So two guys I'll say, Brandon Allen has locked into Drew Sample yep. over the last two weeks. And Sample's running a, a lot, lot of while.
0: receptions. Yep, a lot of receptions. Yep.
1: Yep. yep. And he's at 12 targets over his last two games, running around on both uh, on 70% of dropbacks in both of those games, 70, 70% plus. I think no one is going to play Drew Sample because that's gross. So you got him. He's at 3,000 on DraftKings. And then Cole Komet is at 2,900. And he's been coming on as the Bears' number one tight end. So I think he's also in that mix. I think Komet will probably get a little bit more ownership, people noticing that a bit more it seems like but I think both those guys are in play samples not necessarily a, a piece that I you know I, I talked about how I don't really want that that game and playing like a uncorrelated tight end in a gross game is maybe not the best idea in the world but if you're trying to do like a millimaker type of lineup where you're uh you know you're gonna need to to save that salary get something out of it and he's gonna be super low owned uh you know I, I don't mind it.
0: Uh, that's fair this is great stuff pat as always so many different areas you can you can cover last question then i'll get you out of here look into the crystal ball who's the week 16 guy that you look at and you say you know what he could be a major factor because of course if t- if you're in a, a fantasy playoff and you have a bye right now you may want to try to set things up for a certain receiver running back qb defense whatever it is last year of course we had the big dolphins Bengals game which was such a big focus of, of People planning for week 16, it did not disappoint. Fitzy went for 419 and four. Is there a player that you see there looking at the week 16 schedule that you say to yourself, you know, he may be available and he's probably a guy that I think can really make a difference or maybe he's on somebody's bench right now and they're not even playing him?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, with this type of stuff, it's important to be analytical, objective. You can't let your personal biases creep in. So I like Rotoviz a lot because you have all of these tools that you can look at Yep. one of them is the strength of schedule app which i think is awesome you can you can select the range you want to look at so i just selected week 16 specifically and i looked at the the schedule for running backs the top number one best schedule for running backs in week 16 is Tampa Bay so objectively I think the answer is uh, clearly Ronald Jones here.
0: There it is. They got Pat Caray ties it all together. I am with you. And I'm so happy for the people who were laughing all over social media when Leonard Fournette got acquired that Rojo has found a way to grind himself out there right on the border of RB1. That's a, that's a great call. What a way to wrap it up, Pat. Folks, Pat Corain here. Got to follow him on Twitter at Pat Corain. Establish the run. Great stuff. Ship chasing on YouTube. He's got a stat chasing show. He says he's doing work with Ben Gretz right now. Established the Edge Podcast and an OG here at Rotoviz. Pat, thanks so much for a few minutes. Great job, man. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotavisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at Randall rant Make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.